Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Jason Staples and Buck Sanders. You're listening to the Day After podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Buck, uh, not really a whole lot to say about this one. Um, I did think the atmosphere was pretty good. The crowd was a little flat, maybe. It didn't seem as loud as it had been. Uh, but what I saw in Keenan Stadium last night, Carolina just not quite ready for prime time against the Virginia team that we said all week is pretty solid. Yeah, we said going in, all of us, Tommy, that if this Virginia team didn't make mistakes and turn the ball over, they were going to be tough to beat. And that's how exactly how it turned out to be. Uh, they didn't make any mistakes. Uh, they didn't turn the ball over. Uh, they didn't get flagged for a lot of penalties at least. Um, and when they put the ball on the ground, they got back on it. So, um, under those circumstances, it was always going to be tough no matter, uh, what North Carolina did. If, as long as Virginia played a really clean game. On the flip side of it, there are some certainly some positives out of this, um, and Jason will talk more about this, but the defense isn't one of the positives. And, you know, we, we've got to give Jay Bateman and the Couture Hill defense a lot of credit because they have really punched above their weight class all year pretty much. And for the most part, Bateman has been able to figure out how to neutralize what a team does best. And that wasn't the case last night. Um, so, uh, that, that's a little bit of a concern. I thought they did a pretty good job limiting another one of Virginia's strengths, uh, not letting Joe Reed get loose for, uh, long yardage on kickoffs. Um, there are some other head scratching moments like the failure to call timeout. Uh, Tommy was screaming in my ear, um, <laughs> right behind me the whole time, uh, timeout, timeout. Why didn't he call a expletive deleted timeout? Um, so, you know, th- there's some takeaways from the game. I think, I think North Carolina is you know, a team that is finding, uh, some of what it's good at and, and understandings are. But last night, I just think the better team won, and I, I, I think that's the, the long and the short of it. I thought you were going to go stone-cold Steve Austin and say that's the bottom line, and that is the bottom line with that, Jason. We talked about stop Bryce Perkins, stop Virginia. I've been in Keenan Stadium a lot over the years. Um, most recent one I remember is Lamar Jackson for Louisville, couple years ago doing whatever he wanted Uh, we said this is how Bryce Perkins is successful you have to keep him from doing this and he did exactly that the entire night 30 for 39 378 three touchdowns he ran the ball Um, the long run I felt like Carolina's defense thought he may was going to just run out of bounds looked like they kind of quit on the play but that guy was fantastic and it's not too often that one guy beats a football team but 
that one guy beat the football team, did everything he could possibly do to wheel Virginia to victory, and they got it against Carolina defense. That was, uh, yeah, not not too good on Saturday night. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a little bit of water torture type stuff watching watching Virginia's defense or watching Virginia's offense because, like you said, you know what you've got to stop, you know what's coming, and there's just not a whole lot that they were able to do to stop it. You could, they couldn't get him on the ground. And there were a lot of those plays. And, and when, when Perkins is healthy and he's very clearly in the last couple of weeks gotten healthier, and this was the first game I can remember him playing without that knee brace on where they would have him in the grasp, like a yard or two in the backfield and he'd still get a three or four yard gain. And that puts them on schedule and then their offense is just so much harder to to deal with when they're I mean we talked about that you have to you have to get them off schedule so that they have to throw it downfield and the thing is they they actually also this was this was I think there were two basic things that you could look at in this game that that really decided it number one is they averaged 4.1 y- 4.19 yards per carry which on the season that's the most yards per carry they've put up against anybody except for Bill and Mary. And, you know, that's, we talked about that. They need to give up, uh, they need to make sure that, that they don't give up a bunch of, a bunch of run, uh, run plays and make sure that they can limit Bryce Perkins in the running game. And Perkins averaged 4.67 yards per carry had 112 yards. And now obviously a lot of it on that one long run, but that that's number one. They were able, they, they weren't able to limit the run game. And number two, there were a few big plays in the passing game that that Virginia was able to hit. Uh, one where a guy came uncovered; it was just a, a just a bust. And then an, a, another another couple where there were there were good throws, good plays by their by their uh, receivers, and they just ended up winning downfield. But if if Virginia is able to get big plays on top of what they do, then then you can't sit on as much of the stuff that they do underneath. And they're already really hard to stop in that little possession passing game that they do. I mean, they're they're not going to throw it downfield much. And, you know, 30 for 39 tells you they didn't throw it downfield much, but the few times that they did, they they got a few plays on that. And you combine having some success in the run game and then hitting a couple plays downfield, and that was that was enough really for for them to come out victorious in this game. And that and you know, I think a lot of it comes down to North Carolina's defensive front. I think they showed some of the some of the wear and tear in this game that they've that they've had uh, so far this year. I mean, coming into this game with 400 snaps, over 400 snaps for both starting defensive tackles, and you know, not not a whole lot less for for the uh, for the rest of them. And I think they they started to show a little bit of that fatigue in this game because that Virginia offensive line. I think they outperformed how they played earlier in the year when I'd seen them a, a little bit more and play. You know, they got the Virginia team that that spanked uh, Duke pretty good, but overall, they just they they did not they were not as disruptive up front as a defense as they've been. And some of that you tip your cap to Virginia. Some of it you tip your cap, especially to to Perkins for when they did have him in the grasp and he was able to to break free. But some of it is, I think a lot of it is just the the lack of depth on the defensive front starting to 
cost you in terms of the ability to uh, to cause problems for uh, for a team like Virginia up front. But looking at the defense, and I want to talk about some positives a little bit later in the podcast. And uh, to Jason's point, though, Strobridge and Crawford combined for, I believe I just saw it, I can't find it right this second, 129 total snaps, if, if my memory serves what I just saw on the snap counts. They accounted for two tackles. And I understand that a defense a nose guard, his stats are not tackles. But Strobridge's are, and two tackles between them. Crawford had one. Strobridge had one. That's incredible. The, the fact that Carolina was in the game, given that, is is a testament to the other side of the ball. But, but do you believe what Jason says there, or do you go along with that, is that it's, it's a grind – all year, these guys have played way more snaps than they, they should, but there's no other option. And then when I see that those two guys had two tackles against the Virginia team, um, that ground them up. That, that was just a fascinating stat. And not surprising after seeing it with my own eyes, but then seeing it on paper later is certainly just a – for me, it's a, a wow type thing. Well, um, I'm going to – try to figure out the question you have in there just to give you a hard time as I usually do. Um, your own schedule. But, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I like to stay on schedule. Um, Salty buck comes out after a loss. <laughs> really? I didn't mean to yell in your ear to call a timeout. And, and for the reference, the timeout was the punt fake early in the game. I mean, call a timeout. I was like, yeah, yeah. Anyway. he said it. He, he said it louder than that, just for the record. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure ear. they heard me. Uh, but, um, you know, a, a couple of things there. I, I do think that you're right about the wear and tear on the defensive line and the number of snaps that they've played and that that that's really, uh, you know, had it showed up um, some last night. Uh, but I think. The other piece of that is that, uh, you know, their lack of tackles and the lack of uh, penetration and whatnot um, that they got against the Virginia offensive line had to do with how quickly Perkins got rid of the ball. I mean, it, he just got rid of it so fast, and, and it was like, um, you know, playing pitch and catch in your backyard. He had open guys. North Carolina was trying to to man up on those guys on the outside a lot last night. And, you know, that meant that with no zone coverage, uh, Perkins could find somebody, didn't have to be way downfield, five, six, seven yards, but was essentially wide open. And Perkins knows how to throw that ball. And he, he was money last night. I mean, I was amazed that in that short passing game, he made very few mistakes. And so, you know, some things that North Carolina does, like Jason was talking about the green dog blitz and whatnot, that doesn't work when the guy's getting rid of the ball in like 1.5 seconds. You know, if he's getting rid of the ball in less than two seconds on a snap, there's not a lot you can do to, you know, put pressure on him and, and to 
uh, force him to make mistakes and get him on the ground. And that's a much more difficult proposition when he's got that passing game in his back pocket, he can go to at any moment. And, you know, you, you get, it's almost like the old days when North Carolina's run defense was particularly vulnerable and, and teams we saw it over and over, uh, Tommy, we would see teams gashing North Carolina on the ground uh, six, seven yards every play. And, uh, you know, this is kind of a, you know, short passing version of that. He had six, seven yards anytime he wanted it, really. Um, and so uh, even to run the ball at all, it was uh, came on occasions where, okay, I, I've got nothing to do with the ball now, so I'm just going to run it. Um, you know, if you look at uh, their – uh, the stat sheet, their their running backs really didn't get. I mean, their running back had 21 yards, okay, you know, and only five carries, and uh, some other backup I think had a carry, but Perkins had 24. You know, I mean, uh, it wasn't like they were gonna hit the running back in the hole and bring him to the ground because he wasn't ever there. Um, you know, he only ran the ball five times. So, uh, I, I think their scheme had a lot to do with, uh, lack of penetration and, uh, it, it even affects, the the kinds of, uh, exotic blitzes you can do that, that Bateman likes to do, likes to do. It affected everything that, that the North Carolina defense, which, again, I'll say has punched above its weight class pretty much all year. Um, you know, I, I know that you shouldn't probably distinguish this one game, but you know, that Clemson is their average margin of victory over their schedule is 32 points, 32.5 points. That's how much they're averaging beating teams by. And so when North Carolina gives up one point to them, that's just a measure of um, how much they have been, uh, you know, producing more than what you might otherwise expect from them. Last night, it didn't go that way. Uh, But, uh, you know, the snap counts and how much time that, that Crawford and uh, Strowbridge has spent on the field, no doubt has put some wear and tear on them over the course of the season. Now they get a 10 day break. Maybe that'll help, you know, people get rejuvenated a bit, but, uh, you know, I, I think it was really more about, uh, the way Virginia's offense was structured and, and North Carolina just had no counter to it. At least Bateman wasn't able to find a counter to what they were doing. I kept thinking. Sooner or later, they're going to zone a bit on the outside and they're going to jump one of those short routes and they're going to get a pick six. I I probably told Tommy that six times last night, but it never happened. And uh, maybe that was just a function of what Bateman thought, you know, was uh, the best approach. And, but the bottom line is they just didn't have a counter to what Virginia did. What Virginia did was not you know, exotic or unique or anything, but 
you know, they did it consistently time and time and time again. And there was just seemingly no way for North Carolina to put the pieces uh, of the puzzle that they have in a position to stop it. Take a little break here. Talk about Johnny t-shirt.com right fast. I still got another question for Jason on Virginia's offense, but I want to talk about Johnny t-shirt. Look, it would have been important for you to visit Johnny t-shirt last night because it was cold in Keenan stadium. A lot of winter gear was, is at Johnny t-shirt and online to be had very helpful stuff in a game in Keenan stadium where it was in the forties, thirties, uh, late in the ball game, but Johnny t-shirt on Franklin street, certainly the place to visit. For all your Carolina needs, not just gear. They've got everything else. They've got supplies. They've got tailgate supplies. They've got every sport you can imagine, both soccer teams, basketball, football, baseball. You can get anything with any with any sport on it from North Carolina at Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street. And then online, of course, you can get everything your heart desires and your mind can think of Carolina-related. They're alumni-owned and operated. Great customer service, both online and in person, great place to go. Visit them when you're in Chapel Hill. I know there's a lot of campus tours coming up here in the next few months for rising seniors or, or current high school juniors. If you're one of those people, uh, like will be on November 11th, go buy Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. Pick up plenty of gear for your potential Carolina student. And if you're a member of this premium message board at InsideCarolina.com, you get 10% off your everyday order online and in person, Johnny T-shirt. All right, let's get back to this day after podcast, Jason. One thing about, and another stat about Bryce Perkins, you take away the long run, which they count too. I think he went 23 for 47. So you like that if you're a defensive coordinator. Uh, the big play certainly adds into more troubles. But Jason, one thing about, and, and we talked about this in the pregame podcast. Virginia's receivers don't scare you necessarily, but they don't drop the football. And they and I felt like their job was to catch the ball and get down, except for a few plays, uh, the tight end that on the busted coverage. Uh, I felt like Dubois and Jana or Yana, however you pronounce his name, number thirteen. Um, you know, he probably could get a, you know. I mentioned on the honor wall in, in Keenan Stadium after his performance Saturday night. But those guys catch the football. Contrasting that to Carolina's receivers who made the splash plays, made unbelievable plays, and then just couldn't hang on to the ball late. I thought that was an interesting dynamic, and it's why Virginia won the game ultimately. Uh, just speak to their receivers' roles last night. Wanting to make a highlight reel. It was, they left that for Perkins, but they didn't hurt Perkins at all, uh, repeatedly making the tough catch, running the good routes. I thought it was fascinating to watch if it if it wasn't foreseeing them do against all that Carolina blue. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned the 23 carries for, what, 40, 49, you said? 47, um, something like 47. that. 47. Yeah, and normally you'll take that, but the thing is you'll take it less when that two yards per carry – is actually getting hit a yard or two in the backfield and then carrying it forward for two yards a carry. That's what makes it that much more frustrating. That's a great point. Is, is that, you know, you're getting shots on the guy 
in the backfield or at the line of scrimmage, and then he's still getting two yards per carry, and that's still better than uh, than where you where you should have him down. And that's that's what's so frustrating frustrating about playing him. As far as their receivers, I mean, all I'm I'm looking at at the passing chart, Pro Football Focus, right now, and it's it's what we it's what we expected. I mean, you look at under ten yards beyond the line of scrimmage. He is adding this up. Let's see, 10, uh, 16, 19, 24. So he is uh, 22 of 24 on the pass chart on, on, on balls thrown behind the line of scrimmage or under 10 yards downfield. 22 of 24. And uh, all, of those, all of those numbers are very positive, including two, two touchdowns in that range. So they, like you said, they did what you expect. They hung on to the football. They found ways. This the thing is, they're they're they've got some some size out there, and they've got they they were able to use their bodies to shield the uh, the defensive back a few times. They were able to get to create just enough space using different route concepts and so on. I mean, when you run snag or when you run, uh, you know, basic short you know doing little little hitches little little slants things like this that basically all you're doing is you're you're trying to find the the spot where there's space and then throw into that and then make sure you hang on to the football and you know they they have a true possession passing game it's 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 sort of like their run game where they're just trying to run the football most teams would try to run the football to get, you know, five, six, seven, eight yard gains, and they're doing it with the passing game. They're going to spread you a little bit with that. And then if you don't drop the ball or if you're if you're accurate enough in that range, that's really hard to stop. And, I, you know, I was getting questions uh, on on social media and, and messages and all this sort of thing on why, why you know, they know Bateman and, and the defensive staff know they're going to throw it underneath. Why can't they stop it? Why can't they, you know, tighten up on this? Well, the thing is, first of all, it, it, the fact that they were able to hit two balls beyond 20 yards downfield, that forces you to at least respect that. So that those early ones that they had have an impact. Second of all, it's one thing to talk about that intermediate area where you can challenge some of that stuff. And he had a lot less success in the intermediate area overall than he did under 10 yards. But if you're throwing it, five, six yards downfield, there's not many defenses you're going to call where you have a guy that is responsible to contest that five-yard route full on. I mean, you can you can bump and run and do some of that stuff, but the problem is they don't have the corners right now to really be able to do that. What you're trying to do is to play tight enough that when the ball gets there, you you get there around the same time and try to either make a secure tackle or separate him from the ball. And they didn't separate him from the ball. Like you said, those receivers earned their scholarship in Keenan Stadium in terms of holding on to the football, in terms of just doing their job and not doing anything spectacular, but consistently working within the, the the confines of the offense. And when you run triangle read type stuff, I mean, they're, they're running a lot of zone in the secondary. You have to with what they've got personnel wise at a, at a certain point, if you've got, ju- if you've got enough time, somebody's going to be open in that underneath space. You're a guy can create that space. It's, it's, 
your your design is so that a guy can find that open space in the zone and then the quarterback puts it in there and you know it's there's only so much you can do to stop that and it's like watching paint dry in terms of the excitement level there but it can be really effective and the only way to really stop that is if you have the horses to bump and run that and just take it away physically and that means you've got to have better players and North Carolina right now in the secondary doesn't uh, I mean, they did get some guys back, but I mean, they're still young and they're still on the smallest side overall, not going to be able to do that against that group. And we knew it would be a challenge in that regard. I thought, I, I think they had a little bit more success there than, than I expected. But I think a big part of that again, is that they also had more success in terms of being able to protect Perkins than I expected uh, and and I think that's the that is that was as big a factor as any is he yeah they're throwing short but he's not throwing short getting it out in every case under a second he's throwing short with enough time to set his feet hitch and then throw and th- and you're going to have plenty of time to throw at that point or you're going to have you're going to have somebody open when you have that kind of time to throw let me put it that way yeah I think I thought Carolina would press up more get more in their faces, uh, but you're right. When, when they did that, he was able to hit the longer passes, and he threw some dimes. I mean, we talked about his accuracy. I mean, he stuck it on his guys. And looking at the final stats, and who knows if they're 100% accurate, but Carolina had zero pass breakups. So that means on that nine, he either missed the throw. I don't remember them having any drops. But 22 of 24 – behind the line in 10 yards tells me that his guys made the plays they had to make and Carolina just didn't have anything for it. That, you know, a lot of people fuss about the scheme and the defensive setup. I mean, sometimes you get whipped physically and they, they were able to do that. But let's switch over to a few positives. Um, one of Buck Sanders' favorite things to do um, when we're at these ball games, f- folks listening is turn around and tell me how close Sam Howell's getting to a record <laughs> on past touchdowns, and, and he he did it again last night, Buck. And it wasn't the intermediate or the short throws; it was throwing the deep ball. I thought when he had an opportunity and when his guys were catching the ball, uh, he was near flawless throwing those long passes, kept Carolina in the game because that game could have gotten out of hand in a hurry, especially early in the second half. But your your thoughts, give me your thoughts on this Sam Howell guy. I mean, I, he, he can't shoulder it every single week, but he's come pretty damn close to being able to do it. You know, last night we were joking. Uh, there was a couple of times when North Carolina had a third and three uh, something of that nature. And then there were times when they had like a third and 17 or third and 20. And when it was third and 20, I would say to Tommy, um, North Carolina has them right where they want them because, because that's, that's the pass that Sam Howell wants to throw. They don't really, they have got like two plays for third and three. They've got like 20 for third and 20. <laughs> It's just crazy. Um, but you know, the, the couple of things about that, Tommy, and you, you touched on them and Jason talked about this at a, one of our earlier podcasts way early in the season. It may have been after the Miami game or, uh, the Clemson game, one of those, but anyway, um, 
we were talking about it and, and, and Jason said, you know, here's the thing. When you've got a quarterback like Sam Howell, that is tremendous for the confidence of the team because they always feel like they have a chance. You know, if, if you feel like you've got a chance, you just play harder, play sharper, you give it more, you know, reach down inside of it because you feel like, hey, as long as I got this guy as a quarterback, we're going to be in every game. And, and that's how it's been. I mean, I, I shudder to think what that game last night would have been like had we not had Sam Howell. If we just had an average or mediocre uh, quarterback, um, you know, instead of Sam Howell, that game could have gotten really, really ugly. But he gives you a chance. And, you know, going forward, and he's a true freshman, and I, I think there's still some chemistry building going on between him and his receivers, which Diami Brown really capitalized on last night. But, you know, he's just going to get better. You know, I, I think still, as much as we've seen from him and as close to the the record as he is, which he's four away, I told Tommy after every touchdown pass how close he was, breaking Mitch's record. Um, he's He's four away from throwing more touchdown passes than any other UNC quarterback ever. And, you know, he's a true freshman, new offense. You know, he, he's a phenomenal quarterback. There's no other way of putting it now. You know, do I question some, sometimes, you know, in RPO situations, uh, you know, is his, is his decision-making perfect? Sure. And, you know, do I think sometimes that, you know, he holds the ball too long trying to make a play? Yeah, I, I think that happens sometimes. But we're talking about a true freshman. And, and once he gets a handle on a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. And, uh, you know, again, emphasizing the factor that when you have a quarterback like Sam Howell, you, it's going to be difficult to beat your team really, really badly. He's going to keep you in the game. And as long as you keep it, can keep it close and you can get in the fourth quarter where you're down to like one possession to win or lose, which we have seen over and over and over this year. And a lot of, ha- a lot of that has to do with Sam Howell. So, um, you know, the future is very, very bright there. Um, and, you know, as far as quarterbacks that are going to be back in the ACC next year, uh, you got the elf and you got Sam Howell. I mean, uh, one and number two and everybody else is going to be not as good. So that that's a huge advantage for North Carolina moving forward. Take our last quick break. Come back, Jason. I got some Sam Howell questions for you, but we'll be right back. If you're listening to the inside Carolina podcast, we'll be back around the corner back day after podcast, Jason Staples, Buck Sanders. I am Tommy Ashley, Jason, uh, Sam Howell, 15 for 29, 353 and four and no touchdowns. He's pretty lucky. He didn't get an interception there late on a couple balls that were dropped, but he was one for his last eight. I think I saw the stat there towards the end. It was 14 for 21 for whatever, for 340 or something. Uh, Tell me what he did badly 
last night. And I asked that because we can talk about the superlatives all night. And I didn't see a whole lot that he did wrong. Uh, you know, I'm not a fan of him pulling the ball. I Just sling it. Just throw it because the running, I understand why they do it. But him running the ball is just not extremely effective. But what did he not do good last night in your eyes, Jason? I mean, that's that's probably easier than listing out all he did well. Yeah. Now, I'm, first of all, I'm going to disagree with you on the pull in the ball. I thought in a few cases, I mean, I, I said coming in, based on what they do defensively, you need to have him pull the ball a few times just to keep things honest. And you notice they did that early and had a couple, you know, six, eight-yard type runs that then they were able to keep keep that backside defender occupied, and and that, that allows you to get some of those uh, – those those bigger lanes for your for your running backs on the front side because you you can leave that guy gives you better angles but uh beyond that I, I think the one thing you, the, that he could have done better in this game is I'm again I'm looking at the pro football focus stats here he was one for six on eight dropbacks against pressure when they actually were able to get some pressure on him in this game he 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 did not look as comfortable he, he had two sacks uh, on that and a couple and, and these were not uh, in my recollection these were not like a guy immediately getting into the backfield uh, and, and find it uh, where he, he couldn't have avoided it uh, just against pressure and they didn't get a ton of pressure in this game but when they did they do a lot of zone blitz stuff and it looked to me like when they when they got pressure he was just a beat slow in terms of identifying where the space was being able to find a good window and getting the ball out accurately in those, in those situations when he was not pressured, he was really, really dang good in this game and not a whole lot to nitpick beyond that. I mean, it just was a matter of, and this is what you kind of expect from a young guy is if you can pressure him, especially if you can pressure him with some zone looks and, and some stuff that you're messing around in the back seven when, when you're bringing that pressure, then you might confuse him here and there. And there were a couple times where I just thought he was a little slow to, to recognize. Beyond that, once once he actually knew where to go and when he did not have a bunch of pressure, there's not a whole lot to complain about. I mean, you got top-level quarterback performance there. I mean, this that's that's winning quarterback play that you got from Sam Howell in this game. And, you know, if you're going to point at any factor as to why North Carolina lost this game, Howell's going to be down there at the at the very bottom of the list. So, yeah, not a whole lot to nitpick. Let me, and let me stick with you for a second. I'm coming back to you, Buck, on a different t- topic. But when he sees pressure and he gets pressure – where do you see the breakdown? I feel like maybe he drops his eyes off of his receivers and starts looking at the rush some, and then he's, you know, he loses where his guys are. But what I saw last night is when he had pressure, um, he still made accurate or somewhat accurate throws, and his guys just didn't make catches. Uh, I mean, so we're – and I know it's easier to break down in the film room, and I'd love to see it, but when he gets pressure, what is his issue – um, with it that you can see just off of, you know, watching the game live. Well, uh, 
I think there's multiple things. I think number one, you're right. I mean, you look at the very last play, the one that 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 went off Deami Brown's hands. That's a catchable ball that has to be caught on fourth down to continue to give yourself a chance to win the game. And that's a ball that that when you look at that and you go, oh well, he threw it a little high. Well, yeah, but he's under pressure in that play, and they ap- they actually got the underneath they did a really good job pattern matching that so that the underneath linebacker was coming right underneath of where that that little curl was and if he doesn't throw that a little, right where he did that ball's picked so you know you can complain about lots of things but that's one where in terms of location that's a really well located football because he put it within about a foot or two of where you had to put it in order for it not to be broken up or or, or intercepted so, and, and the, the receiver has to, has to make sure he catches it on that. And Carolina's receivers all year have had some issues in terms of, of drops. I mean, in this game, you had Diami had two drops and, and Daz had two drops and Bo Corrales had two drops. And a couple of those were real key. I mean, one of uh, the, one of Diami Browns on, at the end of the game, that was a, uh, that was a fourth down play that, that costs you a drive. And Corrales had really, depending on how uh, depending on how you uh, how you chart it, you could argue that two of the, the, the two of the ones that I would chart as drops were also on fourth down. So <laughs> that's that's three drives right there that you come up empty because you got a guy that you got a ball that hit a guy's hands or at least should have hit a guy's hands that were placed well enough. And your receiver doesn't come up with them. So you're right about that in terms of not getting help from his receiver from his receiver in certain cases. Uh, but I do think also there are situations where he does drop his eyes. I don't think that was as big of, a, of an issue in this game. I think in this game, it was more of an issue of not necessarily recognizing pre-snap where, this, where the pressure was going to come from so that he was able to get and identify where the where the uh, where the proper hot would be or whatnot as quickly as as what you would like. I think that was a factor. And again, we're talking nitpicking of a quarter second difference between identifying it and getting it out versus you know what he did. I mean, you're a quarter second or a half a second. I mean, it, you're talking about really tight margins once you get to nitpicking at this level. So it's a um, you probably hear the. Uh, the uh six month old in the back there yeah um but anyhow uh i think (laughs) i love it somebody somebody is uh somebody is uh is is not having the best morning at the moment Aaliyah just wants to join in on the talk (laughs) she's got a lot to say about the drops too yeah she she was she was she's not real happy about the drops but um but I think the I think the she other was probably thing probably hollering for a timeout too, like Tommy. Catch the damn ball. That's what she's saying. Yeah. I can hear that. <laughs> yeah, I, I but I, I think the other thing is that that in a few cases in this game, and this has not been the case, I think, most of the year, there were a few situations where the ball was not quite as accurate when he was on the move as uh, as, as it ha- as it needs to be, and as it has been at other points in the in the year. I mean, Holland's drop on on fourth down inside the ten yard line 
was a ball that Howell could have put on him just a little bit better. I mean, he had a little more space to have that just a little lower. And, you know, he didn't put it right on target. So that's another place where, again, if you're nitpicking and you're saying, okay, this guy needs to be a Heisman contender, what what's the difference? Those are a few of those little things in terms of recognizing the defense a little bit quicker. When you look at a guy like Tua, uh, Tungavailoa, and and some of these guys that are that are just a little bit further ahead in their development, if you blitz Tua, now obviously he's thrown to the best group of wide receivers that probably you're ever going to see in college, but when you blitz him, he knows exactly where that blitz is coming from and is getting rid of that football so quickly on that that you don't really have much chance to get there most of the time, and that's something that Howell does unevenly at this point i think that's the place where next year when you blitz him good luck because he'll have seen all this stuff and that's where the 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 off season helps you as a as a young guy i think that's where the nitpicking can get uh, can can go right now is is not quite identifying that as quickly as you would like and then because you don't identify it quite as quickly you're not able to set your feet and get it out in that spot as easily every time and that's that but i think i think again I don't want to spend too much time there because it's nitpicking. Yeah, imagine that. We are nitpicking a Carolina quarterback after a couple of years of uh, you could write books on it. It's fascinating to watch his development, and it'll be fascinating deeper down the line. I, I thought, you know, if a ball goes through your hands, especially in a big-time play like that, that's that's what separates teams that are ready for prime time versus teams that are not. And you know, I don't like picking on kids specifically, but Corrales has got to catch those two. Damian's got to catch those two, especially that one last. And then I thought Toe Groves maybe ran through the open space on one of those ones where Sam threw behind him. But I thought maybe if Toe sits, you know, he hits him in the gut for the first down there or close to a yeah, first that was, down. That was, I agree with you. That was probably on, on Toe Groves there in terms of how they run that offense. And again, three drops on fourth down. Yep. Yep. That's how you end up losing by seven. Buck, one more positive before we get out of here and talk a little bit about what the future holds is Javante Williams and Michael Carter. I mean, my son kept yelling three-headed snake because there's some song named that or something, but Javante was an absolute beast at times. And Michael Carter did what Michael Carter does as well. I mean, the running game, uh, they had what, 30 carries for almost 200 yards between them. That if they run the ball like that these last three weeks of the season, I think Carolina's good, got a very good shot of meeting those preseason expectations. Yeah, I agree with you, Tommy. The The thing about Javante is, you know, you, you see some running backs that have this quality. Not all of them do. Uh, but when you see one that does, it just jumps out at you. Is that He cares not a fig for his body. You know, he, he's just going to throw himself downfield and it doesn't matter if, uh, somebody is in, in his way or whether he needs to, you know, do a backflip to get over him and bounce off that turf, you know, five times, he doesn't seem to care. And, uh, you know, backs like that you know, are just so fascinating to watch because it's almost as if, you know, they take themselves out of, um, you know, the human being natural fear of getting hurt. You know, whether you, we talk about the flight or fright response sometimes with them, it's always, 
flight and right at you. Um, so, you know, it just a really amazing back to watch. Um, and you know, he's just, he's also another one that's just going to get better. And I talked about that in my, uh, column a little bit today that whether you're talking about Sam Howell or Deami Brown or, you know, the defense or, uh, you know, even the, the coaches collaborating together, you know, and Jason talked and I talked a little bit about this before the, while Tommy was getting his coffee before the podcast, <laughs> um, you, you just see this team and, and as a whole, they're scratching the surface. They're just scratching the surface of what they can be. And, and you see it. Uh, it's not like, you know, we're seeing ghosts and just making this stuff up. Uh, you can see them getting better in tangible ways. Defense had a rough night last night, but you, you just see things starting uh, to come together in a way, even through the losses, where you can look forward and say, this team is going places, you know, that, that they're making, uh, they're moving in the right direction. Unlike at, at Jason's other favorite locale, Tallahassee. So, you know, it's just a different feeling when you, you see teams doing things that you can, you can look at and say, you know what, uh, they're moving in the right direction. You know, this is a disappointing loss, but you can see them and you get the feeling like they're just really kind of, uh, at the, you're seeing the tip of the iceberg of what they could be and, and maybe not this year, but at least, you know, going forward, uh, it gives you a, a very positive vibe about this North Carolina team. I mean, we all said preseason that if this team makes a bowl, it's a success. This is a successful season. And they're still likely right now. I mean, it's not a guarantee, but they're still likely going to make a bowl and not only make a bowl, but look at right now where things are in recruiting. And all of a sudden next year, the influx of talent, not just in terms of some of the guys that they're about to bring in as freshmen. I mean, you got about five freshmen that are going to play a significant role on defense next year. And a couple of them are going to be significant upgrades immediately the day they step on campus because they're you know among the best recruits at Carolina will have, have signed on defense in 15 years at least. So <laughs> that's number one. And number two, you get some of these guys back from injury, you get a Patrice Rene back, and you get a couple of the other guys that are sitting out the year. And all of a sudden, defensively, now you go from can we make a bowl to, you know what, competing for the division is is actually a preseason realistic expectation next year with the quarterback you got, with all the guys you got coming back on offense, and then you add that defensive talent. Now, you know, you may not expect to win the division, but you're expecting, you're actually expecting, going into the year, expecting to be able to compete for the division. That's good direction right there. Yeah. And, and on schedule, I still say, and it, but it's crazy how every week we start, we, you know, we go, oh, they're going to compete for the coastal. Oh no, they might not make a bowl. Oh, they're back. They they win the coastal. Oh, they're back to the. It's just it's Carolina football, and people 
listening to this podcast have followed it enough to understand that this is Carolina football at the moment. Matt Brown will get them there. Uh, so it's not Carolina yo-yo football at the moment. Um, but this season is another one of those games, another one of those times. And I think the bowl game is in the grasp. And I think the bye week is huge for Carolina getting to that. I'm going to wrap this one. We've covered it. We'll talk about it plenty all week. Uh, basketball season's starting. So maybe I'll take a little break from football so I can sit back and understand what's going on, That what Matt Brown's building a little better. Um, but Jason and Buck, it's always fun. It's never as fun when Carolina loses, but it's still always fun to start my Sunday morning with you guys. Thanks, boys. Thank you. I, I feel like I get Thanks, smarter Tommy. every time I talk to y'all. Really? Well, I appreciate that, Buck. I know that's all me. I appreciate yes. All you. So all you, Tommy. <laughs> y'all be good. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.